0: You're listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 93. In this episode of the podcast, I'm thrilled to have the iconic author Dean Koontz back on the podcast. His latest book, Devoted, will be published on March 31st, 2020. We'll chat about his legendary career, about his latest novel, Devoted, and even about the odd spot he found himself recently when his name was thrust onto the global news cycle for having supposedly predicted the coronavirus outbreak in his 1981 novel. We'll talk to Dean about that and a whole lot more uh, coming right up, so stay tuned for my upcoming interview with uh, Dean Kunt. But first, a quick word about Masterclass, which offers online classes which can be accessed at any time at your convenience. I'm really getting a lot out of my all-access pass uh, now that we're under a shelter-at-home order here in San Francisco. And my favorite classes, of course, have been those uh, featuring thriller writers, James Patterson, David Baldacci, and Dan Brown. Uh, Those have been uh, phenomenal. Uh, So I recommend that you go check that out at thrillingreads.com forward slash masterclass. That is my affiliate link, so it's a great way to support this podcast by going over to thrillingreads.com forward slash masterclass. Thank you, and here's my latest interview with Dean Koontz. Hi, Alan. Oh, hi, Dean. How are you? I'm well, yourself? I'm doing uh, very well. Thank you uh, so much uh, for doing this interview. Well, it's been such a a busy year for you now with uh, the Nameless Books, and now you have uh, Devoted coming out. Uh, It's been a a lot of activity. (laughs) It it sure has, and uh, I've delivered...
1: Well, I've delivered two more books to them, uh, and I'm just creatively revitalized by this relationship. There are a lot of great people at Amazon, and it's working out well. So,
0: oh, that's so great. And so, you, so, your new book, the one that's coming out on March 31st, is devoted, and mm-hmm. um, it's, it's it's such a cool story. It's a story of a it's got a young man named Woody Bookman who hasn't spoken a word in 11 years of his life. Can you tell us a little bit about him?
1: Yeah, Woody is uh, uh, is autistic uh, but like a number of autistic children there's a lot of activity going on internally and Woody is a is uh, an autodidact of the highest order he can, he can teach himself almost anything he's got a very high IQ but his autism has locked him in his mother loves him uh, protects him but uh, can't get back from him what uh, she's able to give because he is emotionally detached. But he has a secret life, and one of the things that is involved in his secret life is he believes his father's accidental death was, in fact, murder, and he is correct. But He he researches a lot of things, and he gets into the dark web and calls himself to the attention of some of the people who may have killed his father. And uh, he's looking for the truth, but there's, uh, he has a secret friend out there eventually as the story evolves that he be- gradually becomes aware of, and that is a very special creature named Kip. So this is a sort of boy story, animal story, love story, thriller um it's a genre mashup, let's face it.
0: Oh, yeah. You're an expert in that. You like basically spearheaded the or started the whole genre mashup by, uh, back in the day. <laughs> when I started doing it, it, it baffled publishers. <laughs> this goes way,
1: way back. And I was told many times at the beginning, you can't do this. You can't have a love story inside a thriller. You can't have a you can't have uh, humor inside a thriller because that people will be turned off by it and and uh, they won't be scared uh, and i always thought these this common wisdom and there was a long list of common wisdom in publishing at that time was mostly common but not wise and uh, i kept doing it anyway and now it's it's nothing different anymore a lot of people are doing it but my, oh, my, the objection to it in the beginning was was daunting. I'm amazed that I still kept at it. I guess I'm just a stubborn bastard in some ways.
0: <laughs> so they literally would tell you take out the love story or take out the, you know, wow, like, why don't you, like, edit all that out?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I remember when I delivered Lightning, uh, uh, the publisher now I'd had, str- I finally started to have some bestseller success. Whispers was a best-selling paperback, so was uh, Phantoms and Darkfall. I was told at that time I'd be a paperback bestseller, but never a hardcover bestseller. That was another bit of common wisdom. They divided writers by types. What the standards were were never explained to me, but then Strangers became a bestseller in Hardcover Watchers, a bigger bestseller than Strangers. Not yet at the top of the list, but okay. And then I delivered Lightning. And my publisher said, yeah, I can't publish this for seven years. said, this will destroy your growing career as a bestseller Uh, because the first quarter of the book, the lead character is a child. And that makes it a young adult novel. And I thought, well, does that mean Oliver Twist is a young adult novel? Or I guess To Kill a Mockingbird is a young adult novel. Uh, None of that made any sense to me. And I didn't know why seven years it had to be put on the shelf before I could dare release it, instead of five or nine or and I we I was in a battle there that lasted six months that they refused to schedule it until I would I would agree to put it aside for years and deliver something else. And finally I said, No, I want it published and so it was published but grudgingly and then it went to number three on the bestseller list. And you could go into stores for months, and there would be no copies there because they couldn't get their orders refilled. And then they would show up, and they, the reorder would be gone in three days. And then there'd be another two weeks where there were no. And it was frustrating, but you just have to pilot through all that. You have to kind of trust, to some extent, your instinct about what you're doing and and why it works. And you can be wrong, no question about that. But the result was that the very next book after Lightning went to number one, and usually, that means the previous book was something that the public really liked.
0: So. Wow, that's so fascinating! So you like really like changed things for uh, for all, a lot of the authors that came after that. Uh, maybe a little bit more, a little bit more freedom, maybe. <laughs>
1: maybe a touch. I'm not so sure that everybody else didn't have to go through it also, but it's uh, after my publisher at that time was out of and she was very smart in many ways. Uh, She was a very successful publisher, but she had way of looking at things. And it was, she liked you to do the same book every time. Uh, And so certain authors worked very well for her. And some of those authors I liked, like Dick Francis always wrote about racehorses and, you know, had it all set in the same world. And his lead character was always very similar, even though they were different. They could have been almost a series character. That's what she loves, and uh, and she could publish the heck out of those. But if you roll over the map, it was baffling to her. And after she had gone, um, and she was there many years and a lot of success, but uh, an editor who was my editor afterward told me that when I delivered The Bad Place and she was reading the manuscript and she had given it out to other people there to read, and she reached a point where this, what she thought was a standard uh, thriller ended up with a scene on another world. And she came racing down the hall to the editor, screaming as she came, he sent the characters to another planet, we can't publish this. And of course they did, and it went to number one, it was okay. Uh, it all depends on whether the story works, not whether it breaks a rule. Um,
0: Yes, that's probably yeah the most important thing. The story, as long as the story is 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 intriguing, uh, readers will go along for the ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you, and dogs play such a huge role in your life uh, and in your writing. So, kind of excited that uh, you mentioned about the uh, uh, Kip. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that character? Well, you know, I'm I'm fascinated with dogs. I've had three
1: golden retrievers, all all of them females, and wonderful, wonderful creatures. Each one seems more Loving than the one before, and uh, but I get fascinated at their level of intelligence because we also work with canine companions for independence, which produces dogs for people with severe disabilities, also for autistic children. Uh, these there's a lot of autistic children, not necessarily all, but a lot of autistic children that when they're placed with a dog that's been trained to be a socializing dog the meltdowns that take place in autism go away, the behavioral problems go away, and the child still has autism but is much calmer. And that comes solely from the relationship with the dog, which I find fascinating. And the just working with, so long with somebody doing this, providing these dogs, you look at how many words these dogs learn, how many commands they learn, And some of the commands are more than one word. And you start thinking, this dog has a vocabulary of 200 words, maybe more, maybe 300. And the first golden we got, Trixie, I decided to see what I could teach her for enlarging her vocabulary. And the most obvious thing was everyone was giving her dog toys, and she had every imaginable kind of dog toy. So if this was an elephant, I would teach her elephant. Uh, associating it with that toy and or if it was a giraffe or if it was a hedgehog and so forth. And it got to the point where if I said elephant, she would go get me the right toy. Oh, wow. uh, so that sort of adds words to the vocabulary for sure. I remember one of the things that, that long ago publisher told me was you will never be a bestseller because your vocabulary is too large. You have to keep your vocabulary to 500 words. And that is really a function of that sort of arrogance that can grow up when the whole industry is in one city and thinks the rest of the country is a bunch of dunderheads. And I get very intelligent mail from very well-read uh, readers, and I knew their vocabularies were a heck of a lot more than 500 words. But as the years pass, and I've spent time with dogs and these assistance dogs, I've said I've known dogs with vocabularies of five hundred words, so I guess they ought to be able to read the book novels she would have liked to have published. But I had to branch beyond that. Yeah. So, *Kip Devoted* is not a prequel or a sequel to *Watchers*. It has none of the same characters, none of the same thing. But I've been fascinated with dogs' intelligence level, which a number of studies show are increasing as as our television screens have gotten bigger. Dogs have been able to more clearly see, in fact, totally clearly see what's on a two-dimensional screen. And all of these kind of things are having effects on dogs' brain patterns. And until they show the same emotional patterns uh, when their brains are studied uh, for how they light up according to different situations, uh, they're showing the same patterns of emotional uh, distribution as human brains show. And so I wanted to write again about a dog that had superior intelligence, but not one that was created in a lab, which was the case with Watchers. But I, I said, thought to myself one day this this relationship between dogs and humans that's been going on for a hundred thousand years, surely that has an evolutionary, and surely in that time of being so closely bonded to us, dogs could evolve a higher level of intelligence than they had previously. And that's sort of what's happening as an underlying thing in this book, that there is scattered among us is this community of dogs that call themselves the Mysterium because they don't know where they came from. They think they might have been created in a lab, but in the book they find out, basically, you're told they have found out that isn't the case. And I wanted to bring this boy and this dog together and these dogs in the story have the ability, you know, animals have that sort of telepathic ability. Some of them clearly do. I mean, when an elephant dies, elephants in the surrounding region come to stand at the dead elephant's side. And that's an indication that they're being told somehow that a death has occurred. And when you see a really large block of birds that instantly change direction all at the same moment, that can't be instinct alone. That has to be some form of communication. And I'm supposing that dogs, these intelligence dogs, develop what would you almost think of as a telepathic ability, and they can stay connected to one another. And they live secretly among us, except one day, Kip starts hearing a voice on what they call the wire, uh, this telepathic communication. And the voice Turns out to be that of this boy Kip, this autistic boy who's never spoken a day in his life, but has a very strong uh, psychic radiation. Apparently, now I don't want to alarm people that don't want to read science fiction. This is very low developed in the book. This is this is you just have to buy the, the premise that dogs may, possibly, a new strain of dogs may get more intelligent. Otherwise, it's a real thriller with very, very bad
0: guys in it. Yes, well, yeah, That's the blending of the suspense and the supernatural that uh, you're so well-known for, so it's exciting to, I'm excited to read this, uh, to read Devoted. <laughs> um, so what what is your writing process, though? So it's, it was interesting when you were talking about, you start thinking about the dogs and the evolution. Is that, from idea to published book, um, how does that process work, and has it changed a lot during your career?
1: It's, uh, I kind of, uh, where my career originally changed was when I stopped doing outlines, and the first book I never outlined was uh, Strangers, which has an enormous cast. It's about a quarter of a million words long and has multiple storylines. Uh, and I, at the time, it seemed a challenge to write it without making notes or giving guidance with an outline. But it was a, a joyous writing experience, and I've never used outlines since. So it's been a long time that i worked the same way. A little premise comes into my head, like, what if there is a secret community of dogs that 100,000 years of evolution have brought to a higher level of intelligence? What if they're among us and we don't know it? And what if suddenly there is a human being who can connect with one of them? And uh, that was where the premise started. But then you start thinking, okay, where does the threat come from? Because I don't care whether it's a... Uh, uh, whatever genre you're writing in, and I consider literary, uh, there always is a figure: is don't mess with nature in a way. Uh, nature produces miraculous things that uh, look around you and almost everything in the world. When you get down to how it works and what its structure is, it's absolutely astounding. So dogs that raise to a higher level are no less amazing than uh, anything else you see in nature already. And... So then you start looking at themes, what the book is about. And partly what this book is about is um, the dogs being innocent creatures uh, do not lie. Human beings not being innocent creatures lie almost constantly. And I, I wanted to play that off in the theme, that the dogs bring a purer kind of point of view to things than human beings do. And then our threat would logically come from a human being who has no respect for nature except to manipulate it and use it. And that becomes, in this book, Lee Shackett, who is the CEO of a company doing experiments in, uh, in life extendance, extension and uh, is doing using Akina, which is a life form that can transmit genetic material uh, horizontally. We tend to think that all genetic material is... Processed vertically from previous generations down through the centuries. But in the last couple of decades, they've discovered that arcana, archaea uh, can uh, transmit DNA between species. And I thought, wow, this is cool. Uh, this experiment could easily get out of hand, and uh, and this guy has to shut down his factory and, in fact, kind of kill everybody in it with a death death com sort of thing, and then go on the run. And I thought this this gives us the man trying to champion, or trying to control nature or establish command over it and nature itself, how it works, and get that theme going through the book. So whether it works or not, I don't know, but I had a lot of fun trying it.
0: Well, sounds like it's going to be a, a fun read. And it uh, looks like you put uh, uh, like a lot of research into this. Do you do all the research before you start writing it, or do you like do it as you're writing it? or
1: it's both, really. You uh, Certain things you say, okay, sometimes you'll read about something and it'll start you thinking on a story idea. And then you want to research that further to make sure you're actually on the right path, that what you're thinking could possibly happen actually could. Uh, like in this case, I had to be really sure that Archaea could... Uh, could do what I wanted it to do in the story. Then once you get going, there is endless research. Uh, Because you don't know, or I don't know, uh, where I'm going. I don't have that outline. Uh, The characters are taking me places I wouldn't have anticipated. Then uh, you get to a point you think, oh, okay, now I've got them in wherever it is, Sioux City, Iowa. And I don't know anything about Sioux City, Iowa. So thank God for Google Street and Google <laughs> Earth and all that kind of thing, because then you can plant yourself there and start getting the feel of the place. So it's it never stops. The research is a really
0: important part of it. And what's your typical work week for you?
1: Well, I've been working six to seven days a week most of my life. I'm presently ahead of Diet, uh, deadlines for the first time ever, uh, I mean, significantly ahead. And uh, so I'm thinking of cutting back to five days, but I get up at four or five in the morning, usually five, uh, shower, take the dog out, give her breakfast, we go for a walk. By 6.30, I'm at the desk and I work straight through until dinner. I never eat, I rarely ever eat lunch. Um, so, uh That mounts up to a lot of hours in a week, especially if it's a week you're doing, you know, seven days or six days. Uh, And then if I'm right toward the end, usually in the last quarter of a novel, the momentum is such that I can't wait to see what's going to happen (laughs) and how they're going to. I may have an idea how they're going to get out of a particular problem, but some of the details are fuzzy in my head. And the momentum is such that I can't wait to see what's happened. And then it's very easy for me to go to 12-hour days of sitting here, and it they, they fly by. It's it's as if the real world has gone away, and the world of the book is the real one to me.
0: Do you use a, do you always use like the same computer or a software program? I'm just kind of curious, <laughs> curious about that. I remember the first time. Uh,
1: CVS Sunday morning, they've been here a couple times, they came and uh, they were here for three days, I think it was, and uh, we found a spot for them at uh, one of those interviews, and Anthony Mason was the interviewer, and he he hadn't been into my office until midway through the second day. He walked in and looked at the computer and said, what the hell is that? And it was (laughs) so old uh, that he couldn't believe anybody was still working on a computer that old and I said, I'm terrified of learning a new software for fear it'll slow me down. So I keep staying on the same computer, and I have a backup in case of the same kind. And uh, uh, for the longest time, I didn't want to change to a new Windows. But just a week ago, I got a complete new computer set up. So I'm sitting here with my HP system and my beautiful um, Logitech keyboard and uh, and you know what I've learned the new software in about two days so it wasn't this horror I was expecting it to be.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't believe you though. You don't want to uh, uh, cause any jinxes or 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 mess up the incredible streak you've been on. <laughs> yeah, it's well you get you get a little superstitious that if I start <laughs> doing something in a different way or with a
1: different computer. You know, everything's going to go to hell, but so far it hasn't. I mean, it's it's only been a week, so who the hell knows? But. Uh,
0: <laughs> and I noticed I was looking at the devoted on uh, on the Amazon's website, and I noticed it's listed as a Kindle in motion, and there's like animation in your cover. That's pretty cool. Can you t- tell us a little bit about that? Is it is it going to be animation inside the e-book? Not that I'm aware of, although maybe they're to something. I'll tell you,
1: these people at Amazon, are amazingly creative. Um, I've, I've never quite experienced anything like this, and uh, so I had worked on uh, uh, an animated thing. I, I know there's with the cover, but I didn't know about the other. I've worked with them on a novelette years ago called Ricochet Joe, which had some a lot of internal uh, animation of a sort in it, and uh, that was very interesting, though it, I think it turned out to be way more time-consuming for them to do the animation than they originally thought. But, um but it led to us doing nameless together, and then the next thing you know, it led to us doing novels together. So, it's uh, it's it's been a, a pathway. But so far, uh, uh, yeah, they they're always thinking of something new. The uh, the physical book, uh, they would call me up and say, "What do you want on the boards?" Which is you take the jacket off and lay it aside, you're looking at the boards of the book, what are called the boards. I said, well, all that's ever on the board is, you know, an impressed signature. Uh, No, we want something else on the boards, because if people lose the dust jacket or tear it, we want the book still to look good when you take it off the shelf. And I thought, that's a whole different way of approaching this. So uh, it's been interesting. Uh, You know, they're now working on the... They, they've got a fabulous cover for the second book I'm doing with them, and they're working on the part division illustrations and all that kind of thing. It's just fun.
0: That's with the Thomas and Mercer. That's their mystery and thrillers imprint of Amazon, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so, is this is devoted going to be? Is this the start of a new series, or is it a standalone? Uh, I'm only doing standalones right now. Uh, devoted is a
1: standalone. Uh, elsewhere almost cries out for a sequel, but it's complete in itself. That's the next book. And uh, I've delivered the third, which is a standalone. I'm working on a fourth. That's a standalone. And uh have a number of ideas for the fifth, so I don't know. But a character is coming into my head for the fifth that conceivably might be a series. But I would never know until I wrote the first one and looked at it and said, you know what, there's more I'd like to know about this character.
0: Well, that's exciting. There's a lot of uh, great books uh, uh, coming out uh, from you, so it's uh, exciting to hear that. <laughs> um, Want to touch base? Just um, your name came up in the in such weird, surreal news in the last uh, few weeks with na- the Eyes of Darkness. You're probably tired of getting asked about this, but what was that with the whole coronavirus thing? How surreal was that, and how how how, how what do you think about all this hubbub surrounding your book? Well, you know, probably I'll get in trouble for an opinion here. But,
1: <laughs> but first of all, the whole thing was so strange, because all that the book... The book is not about a pandemic. It, mm-hmm. The book just mentions there, there's a lab re- researching a Chinese biological weapon called Wuhan 400, uh, and that is revealed at the very end as being what is behind the, the plotline of this. But it's not a book about a pandemic. Uh, and it, I only named it Wuhan 400 because even back, this was 81, since the 50s, there's been a biological warfare research lab outside of Wuhan. Anybody could find this out. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you were widely enough read in in the areas of national security or, uh, you know, the biological warfare, stuff like that, that I read. But suddenly on the Internet it becomes... <laughs> I became very predictive, Uh, you know. Somehow I knew this was going to happen all these years later, and that isn't what it is. I have literally had more than 100 requests for interviews in the past three or four weeks, and I have turned them down. I've said, no, I don't want to participate. The only comment I've made before you asked this question was the literary editor of The Australian is going to interview me in a week or so uh, related to Devoted, but ask in the meantime, did I have anything that I could say to him that he could use in his column about having predicted the virus? <laughs> and I I said, uh, here, you can use this. Uh, uh, as relates to the coronavirus, my powers as a prognosticator have been greatly exaggerated considering that I don't even know what I'm going to have for dinner tonight <laughs>
0: <laughs> well okay well that's uh, that's I was just so curious to see what uh, you thought was in all the craziness but um, but anyway so thank you so much uh, looking forward to reading devoted comes out March 31st uh, thank you so much uh, for taking time uh, to to uh, The talking with me for the podcast okay I enjoyed it you take care thanks for listening to the meet the thriller author podcast be sure to visit thrillerauthors.com to join the conversation access the show notes and discover great thrilling reads If you enjoy the podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe, uh, rate, and give a review uh, to it, wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, podcast, be it uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, uh, wherever it is that you're uh, listening to this right now, I would appreciate it. And uh, please do check out my own thriller novels over at my website at alanpeterson.com. Until next time.